I would trust you with my uh, <laughs> with my Brazilian butt lift, Ryan. <laughs> I wouldn't trust myself <laughs> doing it. No, you know, that actually would be a great uh, slogan: Brazilian butt lifts by Brian, BBL <laughs> by B. <laughs> Welcome to Dr. Brian Boxer-Wackler's Health Show. Each week, Dr. Brian will pull the curtain back on viral TikTok health videos and label them as cap, false, or no cap, true. Even if you aren't on TikTok, now is the time to get on board, have fun, and join his podcast. Dr. Brian is a board-certified eye surgeon specializing in advanced LASIK, keratoconus, wider eyes, dry eyes, cataract surgery and reading vision improvement at the Boxer Walkler Vision Institute in Beverly Hills, California. Also, please remember, Dr. Brian is a doctor, but he is not your doctor. He is here to provide general information, not medical advice. So you should always check with your doctor before relying on any information. Welcome back. And remember a couple weeks ago, we talked to Dr. Fayez, Life of a Doctor, about some of his unbelievable yet true ER stories. Well, this is going to be essentially like the part three of our discussion, the last part. And we're going to talk about a lot of things. But of course, as you know from the title, Brazilian butt lifts gone south. So we're going to start that up right now. And of course, it's just now about a week until my book drops influenced about all the great pro tips and everything you wanted to know about social media and social media hacks. So don't forget to get it on Amazon. It's going to be in your hands so, so, so soon. And trust me, you will be so excited. You will probably even read it a second time. And all the influencers who were kind enough to share their insights with me for the book didn't hold anything back. It's just completely authentic. And what I love about the book, too, is you can't find the information that is in those pages anywhere else. Because think about it, like, where else do you ever see influencers sharing, like, what they do and what they experienced, both the good and the bad, and the stumbling blocks that they had tripped over to get to where they were, right, in terms of millions of followers? They share all those insights in the book. So definitely you want to go get that book. So now let's join Dr. Fayez for Brazilian Butt Lifts Gone South. In Miami, I mean, you know how it is in Miami. We see a lot of cocaine, you know, chest pain that come into the ER. We see a lot of, we see a lot of BBLs, actually. EDL? BBL, uh, Brazilian Butt Lift. Oh, yeah. Why would they come to the ER? Brazilian butt lifts are expensive, right? And if somebody out there is trying to get one, but they don't have the money, they tend to kind of do these shortcuts where they go to either out of the country, for example, Mexico, as well as like Central America, they have like a lot of these like surgeons that will kind of fly you out and do the surgery there and everything. And it's like less than, sometimes it's like less than half the price that, you know, it would cost for you to get it in the US. So these patients will fly out to another country and sometimes even actually get them in the U.S. by doctors that aren't plastic surgeons by trade. You know, they're essentially, you know, because I mean... So those ophthalmologists doing Brazilian butt lifts, they just have to stop. I'm writing a letter to the board. <laughs> they're expanding too far from the eye. <laughs> yes, I mean, you know, that's, that's a little bit out of the real estate that they're used to, like, being in. I would I would trust you with my uh, with my Brazilian butt lift, Ryan. <laughs> I wouldn't trust myself <laughs> doing it. No, you know, 
<laughs> that actually would be a great uh, slogan. Brazilian butt lifts by Brian. BBL by B. <laughs> you know, if I was like a plastic surgeon and I had that sort of, you know, all of the bees running together, I, I could do that. <laughs> I always thought about that. I'm like, if I if I did plastic surgery, I would just do faces by Fayez. I thought that was had like a nice ring to it. I like the alliteration there. But anyway, so unfortunately, like with a lot of these cases, they um they come they like kind of butcher the surgeries. Honestly, let's just first even talk about like how a Brazilian butt lift is supposed to go. So everybody's got that sort of same understanding. I, I'm pretty sure they just like translocate fat. They take fat from one piece and put it into another. But it's it's pretty invasive because, you know, cell is like tied down through like a network, right? It's not like they have to kind of go in there and like break everything apart, kind of take out the fat and then put it back in. So it's a pretty invasive procedure. And these they always come in with these like harnesses. They're like, I don't know what the term for them is, but they're like all packaged and like, you know, it's so hard to see what's going on. And they have drainages and everything's bleeding. And you're like, what like what is going on? And, you know, their hemoglobin is like dangerously low. So we give them blood. And the issue with this, and this is why for everybody listening, I never recommend going outside of the country to get any surgical procedure, right? Because I'm sure, Brian, as you know this, surgeons don't like to operate on other people's patients. You know, it's like the best care that you're going to get is by a surgeon who did the surgery, right? Because they know your anatomy and they know what they've done. Which, by the way, I, I just want to opine a little bit on that point. Because I see complications from various types of eye procedures or whether it's LASIK or keratoconus or even cataracts. And I have no ego skin in the game, so to speak. So even though I didn't operate on the patient, I'm like, you know, I'm here to help, right? I'm a doctor. So I will have no problem taking care of someone else's patient who had surgery, you know, by another doctor. But I do see it very frequently, like you, like you just said that a lot of surgeons don't want to treat someone else's complications if they didn't operate on them, which I personally think is wrong, just for the record. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's very difficult to find, you know, somebody to take care of these these patients. It's 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 terrible, but that's that's Miami for you. And so like what are some of the complications you would see from these, you know, out of country Brazilian butt lifts that come back? I mean, the biggest thing is just internal bleeding. Um, they like, you know, they cut arteries that they, you know, shouldn't have been around or near. And they have this harness, like I said, that's, you know, have you ever, have you ever had like, uh, have you ever seen those like pelvic binders for like, you know, hip fractures and stuff? Because they want you to kind of like keep everything still. So they come in with these large harnesses that are essentially like squishing everything down and holding it in place. So if they are bleeding like internally, the presentation is pretty late in the process. So you have to like, you know, you these always get like CT angiogram of the abdomen and the pelvis. And, you know, you light up all the arteries and you try to kind of identify where the bleed is coming from. And then from there you say, all right, is this like a procedure for interventional radiology, which, you know, they go in with like little tiny like wires and they try to kind of essentially stop the bleeding from like a specific artery. Or does this need like vascular surgery where they're opening the patient up and, um, you know, taking a more invasive and aggressive measure to like stop the bleeding. Most of the time it's, you know, it's like, all right, like let's get you blood, let's get your hemoglobin up, hopefully praying that, you know, your bleeding will stop. But if it doesn't, that's when the intervention kind of comes into play. Uncontrolled bleeding is probably the number one 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm not even including infection and things like that. Yeah, I think that's a good message. Really think twice about going out of the country, especially if you are going to potentially have a serious complication and may have the difficult time having a doctor surgeon treat it when you come back to the U.S. And we have so many great surgeons in the U.S., you know, shout out Tony Yoon, Richard Brown, Dr. Miami, you know. Well, and I I think a message here is you have to also really reconsider if it's worth saving a few dollars or a few thousand dollars, you know, which is nothing to sneeze at. But when you're talking about an invasive surgery and your health, you really don't want to compromise. And, you know, I'll advise patients, it's okay, you know, save up for whatever you need to have done and come back when you're ready. And I think that's prudent advice. Another thing, if uh, people are sort of in that situation and you're sort of thinking about doing this, is a lot of doctor's offices will offer financing. So they have companies that do medical financing. It's like a few monthly payments for a period of time. And sometimes there can even be no interest for like two years, depending on what program the office has. So strongly, uh, you know, consider that, talk to your doctor about that, um, as opposed to going out of the country and potentially having what could be a life-threatening complication. What else comes to mind when you think about some of these like scary things that you've seen in the ER? I mean, the ER teaches you a lot of things about life. And more importantly, it teaches you about things to avoid in life. Mm. Okay, so yeah, let's talk about that. Yeah, things that get you into trouble. For example, you know, being at a trauma center, you know, you're driving and somebody upsets you somebody cuts you off or you cut somebody off or whatever and there's a bit of a road rage component there try not to escalate the situation because you never know who is on the other side of that wheel and i've seen it so many times where you know it was as harmless you know as you know yelling at somebody or like flicking them off like people like in that moment there's so much rage that you know they literally get shot and they come to the ER and it's it's interesting because it's usually New Yorkers who <laughs> who I've, I've seen in the ER come in. I'm not sure what the correlation is there or even if there is, you know, correlation isn't always causation type of thing. But You guys study which boroughs are more represented? <laughs> Maybe I do. Maybe I do personally. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, they, they come to the ER and they said, yeah, like, you know, it was just a normal day. We were at a red light, you know. I honked at the guy in front of me and, you know, I honked again, honked again, and he just got out and came and shot me. And one time it was uh, somebody's wife and the person shot his wife and actually killed her too. You know, always be careful, uh, especially like when, you know, you're alone, want to stand your ground, you know, I, I respect it, but you know, it's, some things are just not worth it in life. And it's not worth getting into that fight at the bar. It's not worth honking at somebody because, you know, you don't know what that person's like mental state is and you don't want to be on the end of it really good advice yeah really good advice when driving or in any of those situations i mean people have this romanticized image of the movies and like a bar fight breaking out and glasses being smashed and but you know at the end of the day usually it ends up a lot worse than they'll show in a movie the reality is a lot different so what other prudent tips could you give to try to stay out of the ER? 
which age demographic? <laughs> Let's just, uh, you know, whatever you want. You know, drugs, right? Everybody says drugs are bad, but um, certain drugs are worse than the others. I see a lot of overdoses in the ER. I see people that come in. It's called a homie drop-off where, you know, they literally pull up to the ambulance bay, kind of just drop their friends off, and then they just drive off. And, you know, you open the ambulance bay, you have this patient just lying down unconscious, not breathing. Uh, you look at their eyes, they're like constricted. Um, you're like, all right, this is opiate overdose. You give them Narcan. And, you know, most of the time they come back and they're with it. It's interesting because almost all of them say, you know, oh, this was my first OD. I wasn't, I didn't expect it to be like this, you know? It's not like, people think like, you know, the ODs that, you know, people, when, when people overdose, it's like, oh, you know, this is a chronic, you know, long time user, you know, of like opiates or whatever. And honestly, it's really not that case. It's, it's a lot of people that are new to the drug and they don't know what they're getting and they don't know what's in it. Um, and it's just, you know, those are the ones that we get in the ER. So think about all the ones that never make it to the ER. So yeah, especially with fentanyl, like you said, it's a very small, it's odorless, it's easily like, you know, transported and people just lace it, lace it with, like they lace it left and right. Um, they even lace it with cocaine now. And it's like they make these capsules or tablets that look like the real thing. They stamp them and it's like supposed to be like painkiller, right? But then in the lab, and they're obviously not chemists, but then they put in the fentanyl to try to improve the buzz. But whether they put too much in or whether they don't mix it evenly, you know, some of those capsules, for whatever reason, have a lot higher fentanyl than probably was intended. And other capsules have little because of maybe how it was mixed up, for example. And so I almost think it's an epidemic here in the United States of people, just um, all kinds of people. Like, you know, we talked, you asked about demographics. Uh, there's no demographic that's not touched by opioid overdosing, largely because of fentanyl tainting. You know, I know I have a, a doctor who's a friend of mine, her sister's son, and her sister is also a doctor. First time, it was actually during the pandemic, ordered some drugs through Snapchat and the dealer delivered them and he was in high school and died. First time. You know, good student, athlete, very promising future and just tragically because of this. So I just think it's important that we're talking about this because if you're listening and, and you are a student, you're in high school or college or you're an adult or you have kids, you know, just please be aware, please do not ever take a medication that did not come from a pharmacy that is your pharmacy with your name on the label. That is the only surefire way to not get into trouble is if you just only take it if it was yours with your name on the prescription and it's your medication. Oh, yeah, 100%. And, uh, and you said it best, you know, people think that just because of the way these things are packaged and stamped and presented you know, they, they look legit. Like if you, like I've, you know, I've seen them come in with these bottles and, you know, this bottle looks exactly like it would come from a pharmacy. You know, it's got a professional label. They have their own brands. It tells you how much is in it. It tells you how to dose it, you know, for like your desired effect. Um, one of them even had a cotton ball in it. I saw like, you know, how like medication comes with like a cotton ball when you open it. Oh, for sure. Of course. Yeah. So people think that, you know, just because the presentation is legitimate, 
you know, it's like, yeah, like, you know, they packaged it well and everything, but, you know, where did they get it? Where did they get the actual product from? Probably some guy who made it in a hot tub, you know, and who is using a big spatula to like mix it. And then, yeah, like one, one, one of the pills got, you know, a little more fentanyl than usual. And you, if you're unlucky enough, you get that one and you're dead. Yeah, no, it's very scary. So just to drive home the point, to be repetitive on purpose is even if someone says, oh, this is my prescription pill that my so-and-so has, it's really from them. Again, if it's not your own prescription, please do not take it. Well, Fayez, let's end on an up note. What brings you joy in the ER? You know, being in now a full-fledged ER attending, what brings you joy? Why did you want to go into ER medicine? I really love the ER, both from, you know, a lifestyle perspective. And a lot of people think, you know, ER, you know, is, is heavy on the body and like you work long hours and you're on call. But there's actually, truthfully, there's none of that. Right now, you know, I'm working more just because, you know, I want to start building my, my wealth and stuff after having so many loans. But, you know, most of like the attendings, you know, they're working like 30 hours a week, no call. They can take two weeks off like every single month. They space out their shifts. So if like say, you know, you're doing 12 shifts in the ER a month, they say, you know what, I'm going to work like five in a row, take two weeks off, and then I'll work the rest at the end of the month. And, you know, if you want to work more, you can add more shifts. If you want to scale back because, you you know, you want to relax or you want to hang out with your family, you know, there's, there's very little commitment to medicine because medicine itself is a huge commitment, right, for us to get to this point. But yeah, so like I love the flexibility of emergency medicine from like a lifestyle perspective. But being in the ER is it's just it's just fun. Honestly, like every day I get to my shift, like no no two shifts are ever the same. And it's amazing when, you know, you get when you diagnose like for the example yesterday, I had a lady who came in with like generalized weakness, right? And her EKG looked beautiful. But her troponins, which measure like heart attacks, were just a little high, but nothing crazy. But I was like, you know what? Like, this doesn't make sense. Why are her troponins high? And, you know, like, yeah, we could say it's because of something else because, you know, the body's not excreting it. But I was like, you know what? Let me get another EKG. So I repeated the EKG and she was developing a heart attack with ST elevations like right there in the spot. So picked it up early. You know, I called the interventional cardiologist. She went straight to the cath lab and that's a win. You know, that's, that's, you know, diagnosing a heart attack early on before it affects the heart and, you know, increases her ability to kind of live like, you know, preserve that function, you know, her, um, the heart function, the squeeze. So that I, I felt good about that. And it's, it's kind of like small stuff like that. You know, you get your wins where, you know, you help people out in their like, you know, worst times. But on the other end of it, you know, you also get like the sad cases, you know, the, the cancers that you don't didn't want to diagnose, the traumas that, you know, it was just because, you know, a person was in a bad time at the wrong, you know, wrong time, wrong place type of thing. So it's it's a breadth of human experience is how I look at it. That's true. That's true. And you're enjoying it and you're loving it now. So you're helping people. That's what it's all about, right? As doctors is to be able to help people solve their health-related problems. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Fayez, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today and sharing everything from the good, the bad, and the dumbbell. (laughs) And (laughs) I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, thank you for having me on again. This was this was a blast. 
I'm so grateful that you were able to share all those amazing stories and your personal story too of being a doctor. And for anybody that's thinking about being a doctor, there's so many different fields that you can choose from and people tend to gravitate towards the field that best suits them. It's almost like a self-selecting process. So if you are thinking about being pre-med, I definitely would encourage you to follow your passion, follow your dreams, not even if it's in medicine, just I still encourage people to really pursue what they're passionate about, because I think in the end, usually people are most happy doing what they're really passionate about. What's on the agenda for next week? Well, let me open up the menu here. And next week, we're going to talk about can side sleeping, in other words, sleeping on one side or the other, can it make your face asymmetrical? Question mark. We're going to tackle that one. I'll see you next week. And in the meantime, don't forget to go buy the book, Influenced, and the link is in the show notes. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Dr. Brian Boxer-Walkler's Health Show. To review the show notes for this episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, and any links mentioned, visit nocaphealthshow.com. Don't miss another episode. And subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also. Make sure to follow Dr. Brian on TikTok at Brian Boxer Walkler, MD. And remember, Dr. Brian is a real doctor, but he is not your doctor. He is here to provide general information, not medical advice. So you should always check with your doctor before relying on any information.